This is the Sanctuary LA podcast. My name is Sean Mandoli, and I'm the pastor of Sanctuary LA. This message, Hustle and Flow, is going to empower you to work the works of God by the grace of God. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. I pray that this message empowers you to work your faith in God's grace. Come on, give it up for the worship team. Ah. No, you guys are good. Um, man, this is my joy too, but I, I can't, I can't do it. Um, let's just pray for a moment. Lord, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place. We thank you for how you restore things, such as my voice this morning. Lord, I thank you for uh, your will being done in this place. I thank you that you are the Lord of all, God. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Do me a favor. uh, Grab your Bible um, and turn to uh, 2 Corinthians or I'm sorry, not 2 Corinthians yet, Um, 2 Kings chapter 4, if you will. Um, Hey, hey, hey. Some people got it. Some people are are on point here. But everybody else who's sitting down, stand. Let's read the word together. Let's stand and read the word. So we've been in this series, right, Hustle and Flow, and I feel like I'm going to have to teach more than preach this morning. Um, You can turn everything off except for me. You can turn everything off. Okay. So I feel like I'm going to have to teach instead of preach this morning. And right, so the difference is teachers tell it, preachers yell it. Um, I ain't going to be doing no yelling today. (laughs) We'll see. Uh, But 2 Kings chapter 4, let's start in verse, uh, let's start with verse 1 here. And again, for those of you who are here and you may not have been here for the last um, couple of weeks, we've been doing this series called Hustle and Flow. And uh, I I love this series because it's such, Pastor Sean is such a, uh, and he he doesn't go all the way with it, but I wanted Pastor Sean to rap something. I, it just felt like hustle and flow. It only, it just only felt right. Um, and he didn't, unless he did it last week when I wasn't here. Um, I don't think he went for it. Um, but it's just, it's this series that really talks about how um, God will provide His supply for you, but you've got to do a little bit of work. You've got to hustle in order for God to supply His flow in your life. And so I love this series. And I, and when Pastor Sean first mentioned that we were going to be doing it, I was like, man. You gotta, you gotta spit something, Pastor Sean. Um, but he didn't, he didn't go with it. But this morning, I get to close it out, and I'm excited, man, because I, I think, um, I think God has got a word for every single person. Whether you, this is your first time here, whether you have been a part of this series, I think, I think God has got something for you. So let's look at Second Kings chapter four, um, verse one. Here it says, "The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead." And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Look at your neighbor and say, what do you have? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. 
Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. I'm going to give you my title this morning, and then we'll pray. Um, The title of this message today is A New Balance. A New Balance. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for this word. I thank you that it penetrates your people's heart. I pray that it sticks to them like good food. God, I pray that your will would be done in this place, God. God, I pray that after we hear this word, we wouldn't just be hearers, God, but we would be doers of your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Look at your neighbor before you sit down and ask him, do they need a new balance? Do you need a new balance? Do you need a new balance? I see some head nod. Some people are like, yes, Lord, I need a new balance. Uh, amen. Balance, balance, balance. Um, anybody ever had their, their balance disrupted? Yeah, no, only a couple people. Yeah. You've had your balance disrupted where you were, you were in a rhythm, you were in a groove, you had it working, and then all of a sudden your balance got disrupted. Um, that's happened to me a few times. I remember um, in like 2014, I think it was, um, I was praying. And I was saying, Lord, give me time to study your word. I just want to be in your word every single day, Lord. Just help me find time to be in your word. And then I got fired. And I had all day to study the word. And my balance got disrupted. That moment, though it sounds, um, though it sounds very funny, it actually taught me a great deal about praying specific prayers. And next time, so when I pray that now, I say, Lord, I still need income, but give me time to be in your word. Don't take my income away because I got five, now six kids, Lord, so help me out. But sometimes our balance gets disrupted. Um, Anybody's balance got disrupted with school? Yeah. Yeah, I just started um, Monday. I just started master's program, uh, master's of theology. Yeah. It... Look, you know how sometimes when you get into a class, you kind of fill it out a little bit, and you're like, oh, I can kind of mail it in a little bit. The students' responses to certain questions was scaring me, because they was using words that I was like, Lord, I, this ain't even the professor talking. The students is killing me already. Uh, but my balance got a little disrupted uh, with my schedule, because for a little while I wasn't in school, and I had a nice break, and all of a sudden I get right back to it. And so my balance was disrupted a little bit. Uh, like I said, during, during ministry time a moment ago, I had my sixth kid. And children, I don't care how old, they disrupt your balance big time. And here's it. And you know what? I, I love all my children. And when, when Charlie hears this message, um, don't take it the wrong way. Uh, but man, you are disrupting my balance. Let me be so truthful with you. Last night was the first time I slept in my bed since she was born, and she was born on the 16th. So balance disrupting. I'm telling you, it's so bad to the point that we have been sleeping 
on the couch. And the first night that we woke up after bringing her home, we both look at each other, me and my wife, and we were like, man, are you stiff? And she was like, yeah, I'm stiff. Because we were on the couch. I mean, if you have a newborn baby or if you've had children, then you know what that life is like. And so I had Nathaniel um, bring me a chair. Because I want to show you Um, I want to show you up until last night what my normal sleeping position was with a newborn baby. This is my couch. And this is just, this is, normally you sit on the couch this way, right? And this is okay. This is comfortable. You can sit back. This is literally the way I slept for the last two weeks, just like this. And I mean, like, look, you got you to gotta see it because it's, it's, it, you, you got to see the arch in the back. You got to see the space. Look at all this space. And this is literally how we slept for like the last couple of weeks. And we would wake up like this and it was so bad. And finally last night, we were just like, we are putting this girl in her crib and we are going to sleep in our bed. And how many of you know that lasted for about five minutes and then she got up? And it was right back down to the couch. And so our balance got disrupted. And you know you're a new parent. And if you're not a new, if you've never been a parent just yet, if you haven't been a parent just yet, I'm going to tell you the number one essential thing you need being a new parent. And this is, for some of y'all, it's not, it's going to be weird. But those of you who have kids, you'll know what I'm talking about. The number one thing you need is WD-40. And some of y'all are like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I thought you were going to say a bottle, some formula. No, because the moment you put that kid to sleep and you go to the bathroom and your bathroom door starts creaking and cracking, you need WD-40. The moment you try to get in your own bed and it starts cracking and creaking, you wish you had some WD-40. That was one of the first things I went. I said, you know what? We need some WD-40 because all the kids, if you know, all the kids at 10 o'clock at night, all of them got to use the bathroom. All of them have to get up. And when you got hardwood floors, they creak. And when everybody is trying to get up and go to the bathroom all at the same time, you need WD-40 and you need some baby powder for the hardwood floors. Right? And, and at this point now, I got to tell my kids, like, because Prince is the main culprit. When one person gets up, he'll be like, oh, I got to use the bathroom. No, you don't. You didn't have to use the bathroom 10 minutes ago. You got to use the bathroom now because she went to the bathroom. And so now I got to start shutting it down a lot earlier. But not only that, but, um, but the moment that, that we actually got her to sleep in her crib, um, sometimes you get a little hostile with your spouse when you have a new baby. And so I put her in the crib, and she's sleeping, and I tiptoe downstairs, and my wife goes upstairs. See, see, me and my wife are a little different. My wife will check on her 40 times in a minute. And me, I'm like, leave her alone. If she sleep for three hours, thank you, Lord. By the fourth hour, I am down worshiping on my knees, like, let her sleep. But she'll go up there every five minutes, and it's like, girl, if you don't leave her alone. And the other night, she went upstairs, and again, you get a little hostile. And she went upstairs, and when she came downstairs, I was like, you bet not have a baby in your hands. You bet not. <laughs> Because my balance was getting disrupted so much so that you, you can't really do anything on your own anymore. You now have to adjust, and you now have to rebalance, and you now need to change things in your schedule and in your routine. I know you guys can grab this chair. I don't need that anymore. Uh, but you now have to rebalance. 
and it becomes this act of, okay, now i got to put things in the right perspective. And one of the things that happened for me is not only did I get, I have to rebalance my schedule, but I had to rebalance my perspective while I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital, and here I am. I'm walking up the hall, going back to our room, and I'm thinking, like, Lord Jesus, we got another kid to get home and get acclimated to the space. And all of a sudden, it's like God was trying to show me something, like God was trying to speak to me in the moment. Because all of a sudden, a kid, a little kid in a hospital gown walked by. And it was like, shoot. Here I am complaining about my healthy baby that I have to get home and get acclimated. And this kid for God knows how long, is spending the day in the hospital or spending weeks or months in the hospital. So sometimes you have to rebalance your perspective. You have to rebalance how you feel. You have to rebalance your thoughts and things like that. You have to rebalance, and this is, this is something that happens often because, believe it or not, when we lose something or when we gain something, we have to reestablish balance. We have to, when things change in our life, whether good or bad, you have to rebalance. You have to restructure. You have to put things back into order, back into place. And here's what we do a lot of times as Christians. When good things happen, when things go well, when things are firing on all cylinders, we rebalance, but we don't have the correct ratio of balance. Because what we do is we start saying, oh, I'll take 70% of the credit for the good thing that just happened in my life. And God, I'll give you 30%. Yeah, you had a little bit to do with it, but it was all me, right? What does that look like? That looks like when you get a promotion, and instead of redirecting the attention to God, whether private or publicly, it's all the praise goes to me. Girl, I did all of this, and I got a new promotion, and I'm making all this. You ain't that good, honey. It wasn't you. And we need to start shifting the balance. Or if you really bold, if you really bad, you'll take 100% of the credit, and it's all you. So we got to rebalance. When things don't go well, we get our balance out of whack as well. When things don't go well, now it's, God, I need you to do 80% of the work, and I'll just sit back and do 20. Things haven't gone my way, and so I need you to step in and do 100% of the work instead of putting in my 50. God, I need you to do 30. God, I need you to do 70% of the work, and I'll just do 30. And we have to rebalance because the idea of hustle and flow, that idea of God and his supply and God helping you and God, and, and God doing what he needs to do in your life, it was never intended to be in, in, out of balance. It was never intended for God to do the majority of the work and you to do some of the work. It was never intended. God has always expected for it to be a 50-50 balance. If you humble yourself and you get on your knees and you worship me and you pray to me, I will exalt you. There's cause and effect. You do this and I will do that. And sometimes God God is so good to us that he causes things to happen before we even ask for it. And we still have to rebalance and still do some work to get that balance back in order. God, now what do you need me to do? You've blessed me with this. Now what do you need me to do? And so you have to rebalance. You have to rebalance. Whether things go well, whether things don't go well, there's always going to be a time that you have to rebalance. And again, the problem is that we intend for it to be God doing most of the work and us just doing a little bit of the work. And God is saying, I, that's not the way I expected it. And sometimes when I say things up here, I kind of look out and I see people's faces and they're kind of like, huh, are you sure? Because I could have swore that God told me I just needed to be still. Like, <laughs> like, that's what his word said. I just need to sit here and be still. It's like I tell my kids, sit and be still. Don't do nothing. And for the life of them, they can't sit and be still. 
But God is not expecting you to just sit and be still when he's called you to do some work. And again, sometimes I look out and I have to, I have to use scripture to back up what I'm saying. Well, there's a number of times within the Bible where God calls us co-workers, where God says we are co-laborers, where God says we are co-this or co-that. And that idea, that picture is kind of like me, and I always kind of use a sports reference, but that's like being, when God says you're a co-laborer, a co-worker, it's kind of like playing two-on-two basketball and Kobe is your teammate. I'll take that any day. And I'm going to try to pull my weight. It's kind of like anybody had a bad co-worker, and, and, you, and you go to work, and you're like, Lord, Jesus, I got to work with this lady today. Help me. I used to work in retail for a long time, and there would be moments where I would look at the schedule and be like, can I just take a sick day? Because I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I've, I've been in situations where I've, where I've dealt with coworkers, and, and, uh, and, and I've seen them. Uh, they're supposed to be stocking the shelves, and something drops and rolls under the shelf, and they look, and they keep moving. I'm like, what? You know it fell on the floor. Just go get it. And I'll see him from a distance. That's not the kind of coworker I want. That's not the kind of coworker God is looking for. God is looking for someone to co-labor with him in many aspects, not just your life, but in the life of others. The Bible says that we, are, we have been co-workers in this work of reconciliation, meaning you have a responsibility to play in getting people saved. You have a responsibility in discipling and evangelizing. The Bible tells us this work of reconciliation, you have a part to play with that. But you've got to do your part because if you don't do your part, it looks like 100 to zero. God is doing all the work and you're just doing a little bit of the work. And God is not expecting that. I love this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. It says, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Every single person has their task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And look at verse 8. It says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. You have a purpose. You can't just sit back and be still, but you have a purpose. The one who plants, the one who waters have a purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor which means I can't piggyback off of the labor of my parents who were pastors. I can't piggyback off of the labor of my grandparents who were pastors. I've got to carve my own lane. I've got to pick up my own cross. I've got to do what God has called me to do. I have a purpose, and if I don't fulfill my purpose, who will? Who's going to do it? God God doesn't want to do all of the work. Can he? Yes, he can do whatever he wants. He can spit on the ground and make a stake. God can do whatever he wants. Pastor John was talking about in one of the messages of how, how God was, was spitting or Jesus was spitting into the dirt, putting it on the guy's eyes. And it's like, he can do whatever he wants, but he has called us into this work of reconciliation. He has called us into this as well. We all have a purpose to play in this. And that, that verse continues on. It says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. There's a purpose. Here's what balance looks like. This is the definition of balance. It says a condition in which different elements are equal or in the correct proportions. The correct proportion. The correct proportion is not you just kind of sitting back and getting fat. The correct proportion is you getting up and doing what God has called you to do and God supplying his flow into that. 
The hustle is you getting up and moving and working. Hustle is action. Faith is synonymous with hustle. Your faith in action. Your faith that just sits stagnant and you have a difficult time believing. You are, you are not working, but when you put your faith in action, there's hustle. When you hustle, God supplies his flow. God supplies his provision. God supplies every single thing that you need to get through whatever task he's called you to. Amen. But you got to get up and you got to do your part as well. Here's another definition of balance. It says, keep or put something in a steady position. When you are perfectly balanced, when you are doing what God has called you to do, and God is faithful to do his part every single, part, every single time, there's a steady position that you have. You are steady. As long as you are doing what God has called you to do, you are steady. You are planted. You are standing firm. The moment you stop doing what God has called you to do is the moment you start looking like the house that was built on sand. But if you continue doing what God, and no matter how difficult, because this all sounds, and I, and I get that. Every time I preach, I kind of get this idea of how can I make this so that I'm not saying it to give you this, 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 this idea that is so much easier for me than it is for you. I'm sitting right there on that seat with you preaching to myself because it's easier said than done to say, keep pushing, keep doing it, keep working. God will supply his flow. Everything will be all right until you start getting and start dealing with cancer, until you start dealing with the person dying in your family, until you start dealing with getting laid off when you got six kids, until you start dealing with all this other stuff, it's easier said than done, but I can promise and I can guarantee you that if I had not seen it happen in my life, I wouldn't be up here saying it. If you keep steady, if you keep working and you keep doing what God has called you to do, he will be faithful to, to supply his flow and you'll remain steady. The last definition I want to give you is an even distribution of weight enabling someone or something to remain upright and steady. This is all what balance is. This is all balance, a new balance. And the reason why I called it a new balance is because sometimes we get this idea of, God, why don't you hustle and flow? Why don't you do both, God? I'll just, I'll just sit back. Why don't, you, why don't you be the hustle and you be the flow and I'll just be the spectator? Your life was never meant for you to sit and spectate. God has always expected you to do something. Look at Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to take care of everything on this planet. Work. Go do something. It was never, all right, y'all, I created all of this for you to sit back and relax. Go find some shade. Relax. I'll call you when I need you. No, he said, I want you to work. I want you to do something. Adam, as a matter of fact, why don't you get your butt up and start naming these animals? There's a whole lot of them, and I'm going to keep making them, so why don't you start naming them? He was giving them something to do, and even today, and what I've learned from being in school is that the Bible is so relevant from Genesis to Revelation. It is so relevant today. A book that was written thousands of years ago that scientists say is unreal, that, that naysayers say, look, this book is, is just fiction, it's just fairy tale, then how can it be so relevant today? If God expected Adam and Eve to work and he would supply their flow in that moment, then why, if it's so fictional, if it's so fake, then why does he expect the same thing today? If you want to break it down and get really simple, all God asks you to do is pray as well. Just pray. You have not because you ask not. Asking is an action. It requires you to do something. And so here's, here's what I wanted to do this morning. I wanted to give us four thoughts um, that this text with this lady teaches us about 
a new balance. Because if you look at this lady, um, if there's anybody in the Bible, and there's so many examples of, of God having to give someone a new balance and them having to change their perspective and do, but this lady is one of them because here she is on the cusp. She's already lost her husband. She's a widower, and anybody, when, when you're a widower, you've got, things have to change now in your life, because at, at, for the most part, the man is the breadwinner in the household, and women can do that responsibility even better than men, but in this specific test, text, the, the, the man is the breadwinner, he's the protector, he's the provider of the household, and now she is without her husband, and she's on the cusp of losing her children, and she needed a new balance. And this text teaches us what we have to do to reestablish balance in our life. And so I want to give you four thoughts that I kind of extract from this text to give us a new balance. So the first one is this. Pray like it depends on God. Work like it depends on you. Pray like it depends on God. Work like it depends on you. What I love about this text is that this woman, uh, in all the stress that she was going through, in all the drama she was dealing with, these people are about to come and take her kids to make them slaves. And this was common back then. Even owing debt after your husband passed was common back then. And even making your children slaves was common back then to repay a debt. So here she is. She's about to lose her children because of her husband's debt. And yet she still knew exactly where to go. She knew exactly who to ask. She knew exactly who to talk to. And so pray like it depends on God. When you get in a situation, when you're dealing with something, pray like it depends on God. That's where your flow is going to come from. But work like it depends on you. That means, God, I'm bringing this before you. I'm laying it down at your feet, but I'm still going to get up and make something happen. And oftentimes what we do, and the reason why I brought this point up is because oftentimes what we do is we're praying, but we're not working. We're praying, but we're not doing anything. And what does that look like? That looks like, God, I need you to supply me with a brand new car. And then we sit back. And what God is saying is, I gave you a job. Why don't you save money so you can buy a brand new car? Or God, I need you to heal my marriage. And then we sit back. And God is saying, well, I planted you in a church with pastors who value marriage over a lot of different things. I have never met two people who have had such a fairy tale engagement in my life. It is almost scary for them. To, oh, we courted. We did this. And we were, and she was over here. And I was over here. And it was months. And we had to go through border patrol and all this. And it's like, dude, seriously? Because that ain't the way that it happened for me. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. We, and we, and we, you know, we didn't even kiss until like the, the day we were about to get married. It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> That's the first thing I was doing. That was, like, that was all that was on my mind. I have never met, but God has put you in this church, and if you're struggling with your marriage, that is God's way of providing flow in your life. Your work and the job that you now need to do is make yourself humble enough to come before them and say, look, this is the deal. This is what's happening in my life. So we often pray, but we don't work. We often put forth the effort in one area, but we don't do the other parts of it. And so I love that this woman finds it necessary to find Elijah, who the Bible recalls does twice as many miracles as Elijah, the one who came before him. And she goes to him and she says, look, this is the deal. This is what's happening. And not only did she find the right person to go to, but she actually did what she was told to do. Huh. 
what, that, that, what an idea to pray, and when God gives you the answer, actually do what he called you to do. Because what we do also is we pray, and we don't like the answer, so we go pray again. Right? We pray and we say, Lord, I need you to do this. I need you to provide this in my life. And then you're walking along and then all of a sudden God says, no, I want you to go back and I want you to make this right. I want you to, I want you to befriend that person that you're asking me to pray away, that you're praying away. I want you to befriend them. I want you to actually stick it out at this job that you're trying to get rid of. I want you, I want you to stick it out and be a part. And then we just say, well, okay, that can't be the Lord. Let me go pray again. Let me pray about that answer. How is it that we pray to God and then we have to pray about what God has told us? Why do we need, oh, I, I better, we, we talk to people and we say, oh, well, what'd you do? Well, I went to go pray about it and, 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 uh, and I asked God to do this. And, and what did he say? Well, he told me this, but I need to go pray about it. He to, if, he, if you really believe that God is speaking to you and telling you to do something, why do you need to double down and go pray again about it? Just do what he told you to do. Pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. You got to put in some effort. You got to do something. Here's what I love. 100% of the prayers I don't pray won't get answered. That's the first start. 100% of the prayers that I don't pray won't get answered. So that means, man, I, number one, I need to open my mouth and I need to start finding the right person. Instead of taking my problems to my coworkers, instead of taking my problems to these other people who really don't have the mind to help, who really can't supply me with anything, I need to first go to God. Because then what happens is we pray and, we're, and, we start doing, and we start doing our thing, but, but we're going to the wrong people and we're getting the wrong supply of flow. If we keep depending on other people to give us the answers that only God can give us, we're going to get a very limited supply of flow. And by limited, I mean at best a phone call. But if you pray and you do what God has called you to do, man, he's going to bless your life. I love this quote here. It says, with God, it's never an issue of can he. It's only a question of will he. And while you don't always know if he will, you know he can. And because you know he can, you can pray with holy confidence. So pray like it depends on God. Work like it depends on you. The second point is this. Plant what you have. Harvest what you need. Plant what you have. Harvest what you need. Plant what you have is the, is the hustle. Harvest what you need is God's flow. Because check this out in the text, it says uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 through 5, it says, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all. And then she says, except a small jar of olive oil. Well, you got something. You got something. Sometimes we go to God and we pray and we ask him for certain things and, and God, we need everything. And he's like, well, well, what do you have to start with? If I'm such a good God, I've given you something to start with, and I'm requiring you to start there. Start with what you've been given. Start with, if it's just a praise in your mouth, start with that. If it's the job that you have and you're expecting God to, to build your finances and change your financial circumstances, start with what you have. Give what you have. If you're saying, Lord, I just, I just want to serve in your kingdom, and, and, and all I can do is, it, 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 I'm, not, I'm not really good at, at doing this, and I'm not really good at doing that. Well, what can you do? What can you do? What can you offer? 
If you say, Lord, I want to I I reach the nations and I want to bless the, the entire country, well, can you start with your backyard? Can you start with your neighbors? Can you start evangelizing there? Lord, I want to be a musician and I want to play for, for, uh, play for millions of people and, and I want you to bless me in that ministry. Well, can you start in just your local church? Can you start with where you're at? What do you have? What can you give now that I can add my flow to later? What do you have? Because God will always harvest what you need. God will always provide what you need. When you start with what you have, he's faithful to do his part, and he's going to give you the excess that you need. But you got to start somewhere. And this woman, here she is, and she's saying, man, I don't have nothing but this jar of olive oil. And Elijah's like, well, that'll do. That'll work. Let's get started there. He didn't, he didn't do anything outside of that. In the text, it doesn't say that he went before God and he prayed and he said, Lord, this woman has just a little jar of olive oil. What can we do with this? No, Elisha knew that if you just give what you have, God will do the rest. If you just start with where you're at, God will do the rest. Sometimes in our situation, we won't, we won't move and we won't do different things and we won't try to get us, ourselves out of our situation because we feel like we don't have all the necessary things to get moving. We won't, start, we won't start going off and doing what God has called us to do because, well, I just, don't have, I just don't have the equipment right now. Some people, God has called to write books, and you're saying, well, I just don't, I just don't know if I have, uh, uh, I don't have a laptop to get started. Well, you got a piece of paper, you got a pen, you got a pencil. Start with what you have because God will bless that effort. God will bless when you hustle in that way and you give what you have. God will flow over all of that and change the circumstances. And I love it that God, I love it that he asked, he's like, look, what do you have? What do you have? What can you give? Not, oh, shoot, well, we, let's go see what we can go and get. It's, no, what do you have? What is already in your hands that you can work with? <clears throat> What is already provided? What is already at your disposal that you can now use? And that's what God asks. What do you have? You plant what you have. Man, I will harvest what you need. Love this quote. It says, if you put what little you have in your hand into God's hand, it won't just add up. God will make it multiply. He'll multiply it. If you give, just you take it out of your hand and you drop it into his hand. His hand is much bigger than ours or anybody else's that we could go to. If you take that out of your hand and give it to him, man, God will multiply that thing. I love this one. It says, don't let what you cannot do keep you from doing what you can. So what can you do? Yeah, you don't have it all together yet, but you want to evangelize that coworker. Go for it. Start with what you do have. You got a Bible. You got a word in your heart. Start there. God, I want to change. I want to change my, my family dynamic. I want to change these generational curses in my family, but, but I, I can't reach everybody. I can't do it by myself. Well, you're a great start. And when you start and you start doing what God has called you to do in that environment, God will bless all of that. Here's point number three. Private obedience produces public favor. Private obedience produces public favor. Private obedience is the work. Public favor is God's flow over your life. Here's what the woman does. Elijah says, man, what do you have? She says, I have just a small jar. And it says that she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. Verse 7 says, she went and she told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. So she starts by shutting the door and doing what she was told to do. 
go get all the jars that you can round up. Get everything that you have. Get that jar of olive oil. Go in your house and start pouring. Start pouring. Keep pouring. Now, this sounds crazy on the surface because she says, I have just a small jar of olive oil. And he's like, well, get all the jars that are in the city. Grab, go to your neighbors. Grab all these jars. And you can imagine that probably when she started pouring, she was like, man, this ain't even enough to fill this one jar that I just borrowed. And you want me to fill all these jars? But here's what happens is that she started pouring, and it was her faith that was in action. And as she started pouring, it was like, oh, shoot, God is stretching this thing out. And all of a sudden, she's filling up all these jars. Have you ever been there before where you're like, man, Lord, I need this money to stretch because I don't get paid for another two weeks and I've been faithful to tithe, and I've been faithful to serving, Lord, you got to help me out. And all of a sudden, I've been in a position where I'm like, dude, like, I have more than I needed. Because I was obedient. When nobody else was looking, I was obedient. When nobody else congratulated me on tithing, when nobody else said, wow, you've given that much, when nobody else said, wow, you've spent that much time serving your church, when nobody else cared, I was still obedient. And what did God do? God publicly favored me. God allowed me to get in certain positions. When I was working in retail and I was praying every single day, I would walk in that store and walking up and then up and down the aisles before the store was open, after the store was closed, and I was praying over everything and praying over the manager's chairs. And all of a sudden, I started getting promoted. And all of a sudden, God started making things happening. It wasn't a coincidence to me. It was literally God giving me public favor because of my private obedience to walk in that place and saturate that place with the spirit Amen. see sometimes what we think is we think that prayer and when we pray then coincidences start to happen but God causes the coincidence there's no such thing as coincidence when it comes to God it is God's favor on your life and so it's what you do in private that God will bless in public and so here she is she shuts the door and all of a sudden now she's got more than enough and she can pay off her debt I, man, I love this quote so much, and I hope you write it down because it is like changing my life. It says, if you take care of the depth of your devotion, God will take care of the breadth of your ministry. If you take care of that private time and you really get saturated in that moment, God will make sure that the people you want to reach, you will reach them. God will take, he will expand your territory so wide, you'll be so shocked, you'll be so surprised, but it all comes when you have that private obedience, when you say, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what anybody else says, regardless of anything else, any other circumstances, I will be obedient, and that's what this woman does, and here she is, and she's favored. I love it, because I think of the example of King David, is that here he is, and Samuel goes to anoint his brothers. And Samuel's thinking like, oh, okay, I'm coming to anoint one of these guys. These, these are one of the older brothers. And, and, and then all of a sudden he gets there and he's like, well, yeah, none of these are actually going to work out. Do you have anybody else here? And they didn't all go out. They didn't all go out to the pasture and, and go find David. They were just like, Jesse was like, yeah, yeah, you can go out there. You, you can go see it. You know how you do when you go to a retail store and you're like, like Walmart? Anybody work at Walmart? Sorry. I'm about to put you on blast. Okay. You know when you go to Walmart and, uh, and you ask for help and, and you're like, hey, can, where's, where's, uh, where's the lotion at? It's over there. And you're like, over there is like 40 owls. What do you mean over there? Where? And here Jesse is and he's like, Samuel's like, you have any other sons? Yeah, out there. And Samuel, I can imagine him just wandering and seeing David just in private doing what God has called him to do. Regardless of what was going on in the house, David was obedient in private. 
And not only was David blessed and anointed in private, but he also had public favor. Here he is serving in Saul's kingdom, playing the harp, playing demons away in private, in the king's personal quarters. And yet his ministry was so expansive. And yet his ministry changed that nation because of what he was doing in private. So remember that private obedience produces public favor. Here's the last point here. Provision is proportionate to your faith. God's provision is proportionate to your faith. What does that mean? If I don't have faith enough to believe that it can happen, then why would I expect God to make it happen even if I don't have the faith for it? Why, why would you expect God to bless your family and bless your household if you won't even believe enough for that? If you just disregard as, man, that's just a, a lofty dream. That'll never happen. Why would you expect God to make it happen anyway? When God does something in your life, when God blesses your life, it is an indication most times of your faith. It's an indication of what you believe. What do you believe about God? Do you really think God can change your circumstance? Do you really think God can heal you of this disease? Do you really think God can change your life around when you've been sleeping in a riverbed, when you've been homeless, when you've been lost, when you've been broken? Do you really think God can change your circumstance? If you have faith enough to believe that, God will provide for that. If you really have faith enough to believe that, man, I'm the only one in my family who comes to church, but I'm still believing that the rest of my family will be saved. If you have faith enough for that, God will make it happen. It's all proportionate to your faith. The little, little wee bit of faith that you have, a little, a little, a little bit tiny and you're like, ah, he can't do that. Ah, uh, I don't know. Don't be surprised when it doesn't happen. But if you can put it all on the line and say, man, I am believing for the extraordinary. I am believing that God will do some incredible things. That is hustling. God, I am putting my faith in action. I'm going to make sure that whatever it is, I believe with my whole heart and I move and I act on it because I know you can do it. Then God provides his flow. He provides his flow in that moment. Um, in verse, in verse 5 through 6 of this text, it says, They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. She had faith enough to keep pouring. She kept going. She kept going. Imagine if she would have stopped. Here she is. Her children are about to be taken away from her. And now I give up. This is not going to work. It's not going to work. This is what we do. This is not going to work. I've prayed about it. And I've talked to people before, and, I've, and they've ask me about certain things and they've, Lord, I need, I need you to pray about this, Pastor Nick. I need, you to, I need you to pray with me on this. And then two weeks later, I ask him, oh, did, what happened? Did anything change? No. What should I do now? Keep praying. Keep pouring. Keep worshiping. Keep believing. Keep having faith. Keep going. Until you get the result, keep going. Because if she would have stopped pouring, she would not have had enough oil. If she didn't have enough oil, she wouldn't have been able to sell it. If she wouldn't have been able to sell it, she wouldn't be able to pay off her debt. But she had faith enough to keep pouring. That was her faith in action, to keep pouring. And then, when there were no more jars left, then the oil stopped flowing. Can I tell you, when your faith has run out, when you get to the point where, man, I, I'm just not going to even pray about that anymore, the oil stops flowing. 
you continue to pray about it, you continue to work in that direction, you continue to ask God, you continue to bring it before God, the oil continues to flow. Don't allow the oil to stop while it's still in the process. Because sometimes when you're cooking and you're frying something and, and you, you, you put that oil in the pan and you just put a little heat under it, if you don't let that oil continue to heat up and you just shut it off before it's time, you're going to have some soggy fries. And what you expected is not going to come to pass. But if you allow that oil to keep heating up and you allow that oil to keep, you keep putting the fire under that. Can I tell you as Christians and as believers, you have a right to tell God, I've been praying about this. It's time for some answers. That is your right. God, I've been praying about this. I need you to respond. If you look in the Old Testament, here we are and we're looking at Elisha. But if you look at Elijah in the moment and, and, and actually Elisha, as he's calling fire down from heaven with the prophets, he's got 450 prophets versus him. And he's like, you call your gods, I'll call my gods. I'll call my God. In that moment, Elijah's like, I need you to respond with fire from heaven because if not, I am done. I need you to respond. And God responds. You have a right to let God know, I've been praying about this. It's time, God. I've had faith about this, God, and I'm going to keep having faith, but I think it's time. You have a right as a believer to make your request known before God, and God will supply that flow. But you got to keep having faith in that moment. you got to keep having the faith. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for tuning in to Sanctuary LA Podcast. Remember to follow us on social media at My Sanctuary LA. Until next time, be blessed.